Exodus chapter 12, a reading, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Take note of that. When they left Egypt, the Passover marked their beginning of the year. That would forever mark their beginning of the year. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him, unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the puritans thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and again against all the gods of Egypt. Note, against all the gods, false gods and idols of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you, and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and the twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations, 
shall ye eat unleavened bread. Well, that is the uh, reading of the passage where it historically comes from. And of course you will note there that really the Passover for the Jewish people contained really just the lamb and the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread. Those are the only three things. Um, Today the Jewish cedars, um, they typically have a little bit more than that going on. But um, this is, uh, of course, what they what was established for the Jewish people in lieu of the Exodus and in remembrance of the Lord's the Lord's uh, delivering them out of bondage bondage out of Egypt and that they were set free from bondage uh, and that they would go into um, by the leadership of Moses, of course, into the wilderness and eventually reach the promised land. Now when we come to the New Testament, we know the, the Lord's Passover, which is uh, subsequently different, uh, yet was honored by the Lord, uh, is a Passover which still honors the bread and still honors the cup. Uh, we don't eat the lamb as uh, they did. We aren't prescribed to do that. We are not of the Jewish um, lineage and tradition to do that. Um, but I've kind of set up things a little bit just to give some some recognition of things. Now, the type of wine that was used was probably not a Concord grape. It was a red wine. And that's why I, I, I put these um, uh, cups here and, and put some representation of red grape juice in them. I, I went and found some, and so I, I put it in there. Uh, for you to see because uh, we know that the Lord did partake of the cup uh, at uh, the institution of uh, the Lord's Supper but of course while he was instituting the Lord's Supper what was he doing he was observing the traditional Jewish Passover he was, uh, he was observing that and, and so they had something that would be called bitter herbs and um, this is just kale, but it is quite better. Um, so I got some of that. And this is flatbread, which would have been similar to what they would cook. Uh, it would, today, the Jewish people just make a water and flour paste. And, of course, they, you know it as a traditional matzos, but this is probably closer to what it actually looked like. Uh, it would have been a flatbread, just just a flatbread, and they would have ripped it open and and uh, and passed it among them. Uh, we won't do that. I have some I have some other unleavened uh, for you, and of course um, they would have had some kind of it would have had the the lamb shank um, that which would have been roasted, as they said, it would have been roasted with fire and. They must eat all of it, and what remains they had to burn. Um, and so these are traditional, some of the traditional elements. What remains of our Lord's Passover, of course, is the bread and the cup, um, which the Lord does institute as part of the Passover celebration. And so we have some, uh, some bread in it that I've just broken up. This is unleavened bread. Of, of a type which I, which I got at uh, Shop and Save but I didn't want to use the flat bread 
be a little bit too messy to, to break it up for you, but we can, we can observe the Lord's Supper with this. But I'd like to run through some of the uh, situation having to do with the plot to, to kill Christ. Um, it begins with the betrayal plotted to kill Christ. And so in Matthew chapter 26 is where the account is that I'm going to be looking at. And I'll try to run through this as quickly as I can. In this passage, um, Matthew did something that we're quite used to in, in movies or in, in the kinds of things that we see where there's some unfolding of drama. And uh, there are several scenes, if you will, which take place in Matthew 26 and the Gospels as you go through different, the different Gospels. Um, the first scene is Jesus tells his disciples of his coming death. We know this was something that was often spoken of by the Lord. Um, and so he, he tells them of his coming death. Um, and, and so in these few short scenes, there were these different things that begin to unfold. In scene two, he takes place, takes place in the palace of the high priest where the decision is finally made to kill him. There were those who plotted against him, as we know. Um, and this fades into scene three uh, in Bethany where Jesus is anointed with an expensive ointment uh, from an alabaster box which may have actually been something like um, we would call marble a very soft stone which they kept expensive ointments in and uh, so we find that uh, he was anointed his, uh, with this expensive ointment and then uh, we find also that um, the final betrayal, of course, comes when in the upper room when Ju- Judas um, has plotted finally to betray the Lord with the, the priests. And he was bought, uh, sold, that was, sold his, his loyalty away for 30 pieces of silver. Um, basically, uh, one drachma was a day's wage, and this was like 120 drachmas. So you see, it was a significant sum, even though it was the price of a slave. It was a significant sum to betray uh, Jesus. So in this first scene, uh, Jesus uh, prepared his disciples for his death. Um, so if you happen to be following in the Gospel of Matthew, um, let me get back here and go to Matthew quickly. Matthew 26, in verses 1 and 2, he says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, uh, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of Passover which we have talked about and have read in the book of Exodus. Um, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So he comes right out and tells them that, uh, that he would be crucified. Uh, then assembled together the chief priests, or the scribes. So this goes into the second part of it, if you will. The second scene, as these different portions follow one another. Um, So the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people 
um, assemble to the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtility and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Uh, Of course, many of the people thought very highly of Christ. They followed him. Uh, Perhaps many of them participated in the feeding of the 5,000. Or many of them perhaps witnessed some of the miracles which he did. Even the raising of Lazarus. Uh, Various miracles like this would have been known by many of the people. And um, even like today, our politicians, you know, sometimes they they bow to the whim of the crowd because they they want to keep their popularity. Um, And so the high priests and these elders wanted to keep their popularity too. Um, And so we find that uh, they they wanted to avoid any kind of a mob situation. And so they was waiting for just the right moment, if you will, to find the Lord to betray him, fully betray him. Uh, and to kill him. As we know, Judas was plotting with them for this this money. Um, now when Jesus was in Bethany, this is uh, verse 6, um, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And uh, this, this incident as well was in preparation of the Lord's death. And we find that the disciples had somewhat of a problem with this. They thought it was a waste of this expensive ointment. They thought it should have been sold and given to, the, to help the poor or something. Um, but we find that um, the Lord uh, gave them a somewhat of a rebuke on this. He said, this was done against the day of my burial. Uh, and uh, that he even pronounced a blessing upon uh, this uh, act of of love and loyalty to Christ uh, because uh, he said that this woman would be known and wherever the gospel is preached this, woman, this message, this story, this account would be told of how that she loved and did this act of kindness to Jesus before his death on the cross. And so we find that um, these incidents began to unfold at this particular time, at the time of the Passover. Now remember, Jesus uh, would observe the Passover too. He would observe it. Um, and, uh, and so we find that in verses, uh, well, beginning with verse 12, for instance, It says in verse 12, For in that she had pronounced or poured this uh, ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done this, this woman hath done, to be told for a memorial of her. And so the uh, one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto him, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray the Lord. 
And so that having been done, these uh, events having taken place, um, the, um, the Lord pronouncing that he would be crucified, um, the plotting of the priests, the high priests, and uh, also of Judas, and of the anointing of Jesus uh, with this special ointment against the day of his burial, um, it brings us to the last scene, actually, of the Passover itself. And so the Last Supper, which we know it as, the, the supper or the observance of the Passover feast just before his, his uh, crucifixion. And because of the Passover would, uh, would actually have to take place uh, before Saturday, because Saturday would be the day of rest. They couldn't observe the Passover on that day. Um, and so the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the 14th day of Nisan, March, April, it was also called the preparation of the Passover. The Passover meal was eaten at the evening of the 14th after sunset, and therefore technically on the 15th, since the Jewish day ended at sunset. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted seven days, Nisan, 15 to 21, those, those days, um, Leviticus 23, 5 and 6. But in the time of Christ, the entire period of Nisan, the 14th through the 21st, was referred to under the name of this preparation for the Passover and the Passover observance. And so naturally the disciples um, were very much surprised at the events that would take place when the Passover would be uh, observed by the Lord. Because it brings us to that place when, when the disciples and, and the, uh, Jesus would be, um, actually they were probably reclining, and there would be a very low table that would be uh, next to, almost next to the floor where they, as they reclined on cushions they would be able to um, partake of the Passover feast as, uh, as they were there and um, probably who was closest to Jesus maybe Judas was laying very closely to him because uh, in the narrative it says he that dippeth in the dish with me shall betray me. But there's a couple of thoughts on that. One of them is that, well, perhaps all of them would partake to some extent of that dish, as that it was a kind of a communal thing of, of, to, of that being together to partake of the Passover. But also, Judas was one of them. And Judas would be close to the, the Lord, no doubt, because he would speak directly to him. Um, so, in verse 22, And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. But we might wonder, kind of at this juncture, if, um, 
If Jesus had spoken so closely and intimately with Judas, why didn't the other disciples want to stop him? Why wouldn't they, in some sense, uh, hinder him from doing what he was going to do? Except they didn't seem to really understand fully what was transpiring in this last scene, the scene of the, of the Passover observance. Um, so naturally the disciples were startled that one of their own would betray and uh, we find that in the narrative they became exceedingly sorrowful about this Um, and so in um, as they progressed in the Passover uh, we find that uh, each one of them would say Lord is it I is it I that would betray you is it I And so each one of them in turn thought that they they really didn't know who, but they didn't exclude themselves. And I guess the reason for this is that there is a sense when we, we, we all wonder how loyal we are sometimes to following the Lord. We all have some kind of question once in a while. And at this particular juncture, when this final Passover was taking place, and when Jesus had told them that he would be crucified, and when he told them that he was going to be betrayed by somebody who was eating with me and dipping in the dish with him on that very night of the Passover, then each one of them began to question who? And since uh, they were all doing the same thing, eating with the Lord, dipping in the dish, each one of them there, the question wasn't fully answered who, except by the Lord. The Lord knew, knew who. And he indicated that to Judas. And, and um, as he did indicate that to Judas, we find that um, Judas got up and, and left. He left. And see, that kind of causes us to say, well, the others must not have known that, Ju- that Judas was really the betrayer. They must not have known. Otherwise, they might have gone after him. Otherwise, they might have done something to hinder what was going to transpire. Because after this Passover, uh, Jesus would go over the Kidron and in, unto the Mount of Olives, and there he would have a time of, of most grievous prayer and uh, supplication before the Lord, before God, uh, in, in view of the fact that this cup would have to be drunk by him, and he would, he would, uh, he would suffer. And the disciples, of course, in the account, as you read on further, um, they went with him, uh, Peter and James and John. These three seemed to be very closely connected to Christ, and he took them with him when he went to Gethsemane. And as he did, each of them fell asleep. As they were supposed to be watching and praying, but yet they fell asleep. And as this Passover progressed 
um, it is generally believed that the Passover went late into the evening because it wasn't till evening uh, when the time came right on the calendar that they would finally eat this Passover on Friday night and because they couldn't eat it on Saturday they would have to eat it before then and so it would have been late Friday night and so you might say well they were very tired they had been up all day long uh, they had gone and they had found preparations for the, the Passover that they were going to observe and that Jesus um, would take, tell them uh, these things and it was, was very disturbing to them um, and yet they couldn't, they couldn't stay awake even though they had promised loyalty they couldn't stay awake and it it reminds us, you know, how many, how many of us have said, oh, I guess I'll stay up and pray. And we begin and we fall asleep. We fall asleep before we hardly get into our prayer sometimes. And we have our little reading and then all of a sudden we begin to pray and next thing we know is it's, we've gone to sleep and we've woke up later. Uh, showing, you know, the natural weaknesses of our own flesh are there, just like the disciples. Um, and, uh, and so we find that they um, they were very sad at these events that were taking place. Jesus pronounced a particularly sad evaluation of Judas, Judas, Judas's life as he said it would have been better if he had not been born. Now we might, we might in some sense think, well, if Judas was destined to do this, how is it that he is so responsible for it? But, you know, that really can be answered quite simply. That each of us are responsible for our actions. And none of us know, except God, what the full extent of those things are that shall take place. But of course, Jesus did know the full extent of those things that should take place in relationship to Judas and his betrayal. And we are not excused because of our weaknesses. And remember, Judas was one who had spent all of this time with Jesus, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He spent all of this time with Him. And He didn't recognize Him for who He really was. No more than the high priests and the religious rulers and many people who were acquainted with Jesus. They didn't, they didn't understand who He was either. And remember, even the other disciples, they didn't know fully many times they were questioned. And even Peter, when it came to the, after the Lord was captured and, and taken away, we find Peter makes all of these statements previously that he would never betray or deny the Lord, and he denied him three times. So Ju Judas cannot be excused because of his lack of loyalty. He cannot be excused. He was responsible, just as we are all responsible for 
how we are toward the Savior. Whether we believe or do not believe, we are, we are responsible to the Lord. And so, in verse 26, we come to the place where Jesus does institute the what we now know as the Lord's Supper. Uh, having explained these other things here, which were a part of the Jewish Passover, we do not use those. We come down to the, the bread, the unleavened bread, and the cup, because Jesus would make some very important statements concerning the bread and the cup. Remembering, and we have to say this, remembering that the Jewish Passover was in keeping with the Jewish Old Testament covenant of the law. But the Lord's table is in keeping with the New Testament covenant of the blood of Christ, not the Old Testament covenant of the law. So even today, the Jews who partake of you know, their Passover and are, un- are not believing in the Lord Jesus, they are following the Old Testament covenant. But as believing Christians, we follow the New Testament, the New Covenant in my blood, Jesus said. And those are the elements that which we observe. Um, so Jesus took the bread. This would have been the flat bread, as I, as I said, unleavened flat bread. Um, and um, he blessed it, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, eat, this is my body. Knowing that this is symbolic of the body of Christ. The bread, of course, comes from the ground, the earth. Jesus' incarnation, he was born into this world. He was born into this world, the incarnate Son of God, and he took upon him human flesh. He He took upon him a human body. And so he became like one of us in the sense that he had human body and human flesh. Yet at the same time, he did not have a human father. The scripture says he was born of the Spirit of God, conceived of the Spirit of God in the womb of Mary. And so he was, he was divine by nature, but had human flesh. And so he said, this... This bread, he broke this bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And so the context makes it clear that he meant the bread represents his body. A bread that is broken and consumed gives physical life. So that also his body, broken on the cross for us, gives us spiritual and everlasting life. As we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have spiritual and everlasting life from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted his disciples to remember the source of their spiritual life as they consumed this physical bread. And we are constantly reminded of this. In fact, our faith as being Christians is one of those things we must forever continue to rehearse the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It is, it is not something that we can ever 
uh, eliminate because it is that constant reminder to us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And, and, and so just as uh, uh, we have to physically eat all the time to survive, we have to spiritually partake of Christ in order to know our spiritual life. And then we, we find also in, uh, in the same passage in verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so he gave thanks for the cup, and he passed the cup to his disciples. Um, And just as this uh, is of a red color, similar to what blood might be, we find that, of course, they probably had earthen plates and earthen cups and pottery that they ate out of, nothing out of glass or out of china or anything like that. Um, But they would have drank that grape juice which they were most familiar with not not our conquered grape juice <laughs> though we're familiar with the conquered grape juice <laughs> but it would be red and it would represent the blood of Christ and we're reminded of how significant that is He gave thanks for the cup. He passed it to his disciples. It was red. It was reminiscent of blood. He wanted them to remember that their sins are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. So here is something else that we we have to continue to reinforce in our thinking. That the blood of Christ cannot be done away with. We cannot... We cannot take it out of our thinking. We cannot take it out of our hymns. We cannot take it out of our our biblical context of the Bible or of our salvation. The blood of Christ is necessary because Christ is our Passover lamb. See, that's, that's the connection right there. Just as that little lamb was killed in Egypt, and the blood was put upon the doorpost and upon the lintel, and the death angel passed over. And when the when the death angel passed over and saw the blood, he would pass over that household, and they would be they would be saved, if you will. We if we can use that term, they would be saved from death, because the death angel would take all the firstborn of Egypt, all the firstborn, even even the animals. Uh, And so we find that for us, knowing Christ and knowing the blood of Christ, knowing Him and His true divinity as the Son of God and that our spiritual food is Christ, we find that His blood is our life. Remember, the life is in the blood. And that goes way back to Genesis chapter 9, I believe it was, uh, very early that, that that was established, that because life is in the blood man was forbidden to take another man's life because the life was in the blood Jesus died for us the son of God died for us and his divine spiritual life which we know in, in Christ was because of the blood of Christ the shed blood of Christ 
And so we find that in the New Testament, this, uh, this was promise was given. Uh, and Jeremiah says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. And Christ becomes a fulfillment of this prophecy that should take place to Israel. And we might add to you and I that he places his, uh, the covenant, that promise of the covenant into our hearts as well as we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. So I know I've gone over just a little bit, but I think that it was necessary to do this if we're going to take the time to say something that's important about um, the Lord's table. And so we'd like to observe the Lord's table right now, if we may. Shall we bow together in prayer? Loving Father, we do thank you for this table of remembrance of the Lord. It is that table which was established by Jesus himself in that upper room and that he did establish it as he took the bread and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we'd like to take the bread and um, partake of that bread together. In the name of Christ our Lord, we ask your blessing. And of course, as he took the bread, he did break it. We have this, this is a kind of ceremony that the the New Testament church has. There is no merit in taking. But when the warning is given that we ought to take it with a clear conscience of knowing what we're doing, it's really saying this, that if one knows the Lord and knows him as true Savior and Lord, then you should partake freely. But if you don't know the Lord, you shouldn't partake of it because you actually might be adding condemnation to yourself by partaking of something you know nothing of. In other words, belief is the reason why we take, partake.
remembering the Lord until he comes again. So as we partake, let's, let's partake in the name of Christ and in remembrance of him who died for our sins. Now as we come to the cup, we know the cup has the most perhaps, I shouldn't put, say the most significance, but they equal, equal, they are equally more most significant, the bread and the cup. But perhaps we think of the cup a little bit more often and in, in the significance of it. Because it is the shed blood of Christ. In, in the sense that he shed his blood for us. This of course is just grape juice, but it is the symbol of his blood and of his sacrifice for us, for the remission of sins. We, we don't find our sins forgiven when we partake of this. You know, that has happened through a relationship with Christ, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so again, we want to ask God's blessing upon the cup. Loving Father, we do ask your blessing upon the cup. As we remember the Lord Jesus Christ in his, in his death upon the cross, as we realize of that first Passover, wherein the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, where he took the bread and he took the cup, and he also said that this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And that we are to partake of it, realizing and remembering that Christ did die for our sins according to the Scriptures. So we ask your blessing, Father, upon the cup now, in Jesus' name, amen. Take of the cup together. It is a solemn thing that we do, and so it should not become too familiar. We should always reflect upon this very thing and remembering that each of us 
share in this great work of grace that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord. And at this time of the year when we celebrate these things, it is a, even perhaps a, a greater reminder to us that Christ died freely, willingly, knowingly, that he would suffer what he suffered, that he would accomplish the Father's will, and that he would be forever known to us as Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. Let us partake of the cup together. of the Passover with the disciples they sung a hymn <laughs> something we're so familiar with is singing hymns and so um, the last hymn is what no, what's the number 244 wounded for me I believe is the is the hymn Don't give a chance to stand.
Give praise and thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 